podcast ain't played nobody. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38Godfrey as part of the Banner Society at Banner Society, Instagram, Twitter, and the like. Today I am joined by an esteemed panel of young people to explain the bold new way in which college football determines its national champions. Uh, champion, sorry, just the one. Promise. Richard Johnson, Alex, Alex Kirshner. Uh, Richard, where can people find you? RJ underscore rights on Twitter. Catch me sleeping in on Sundays from here on out. You feel me? Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, Alex Kirshner, uh, a, uh, an occasional guest here on the show. Alex Kirshner, a member of the Banner Society. Uh, how can people find you on social media? Uh, I'm at Alex underscore Kirshner. That's just with an S-H-N-E-R. A lot of people think there's a C, which has always kind of confounded me. Dog, I had you in my phone with a C in your last name uh, for, like until like a year ago. And and that's that's acceptable. I mean, I don't know. Johnson's a tough one. I've always spelled that one just J O H N C O N. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's tough. Uh, but yeah, that's where you can find me. We're off to a compelling start. All right, here's what we're gonna do. Obviously, if you listen to the hurry up the entire season, you know what I'm about to rattle off. We're gonna go through the playoff teams, the New Year's Six games, the games from this weekend, and I am going to give you just for shits and or giggles the actual top twenty five of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. I might add, on no piece of PAPN programming, and I'm sure not the full cast either. Has anyone actually broken down the top 25 from the playoff committee this entire season? Because as we've said to you, we've tried to stay on message. It doesn't really matter until it does. Well, today, it matters. Gentlemen, there are no more real-ass playoff teams. There are just four playoff teams. Those four playoff teams are number one, LSU. They beat Georgia in the SEC Championship 37-10. to Number two, Ohio State. They beat Wisconsin 34-21 to in the Big Ten Championship last night. A come-from-behind victory. Number three was not a come-from-behind-anything. Clemson destroyed Virginia. I'm running out of fancy words to talk about Clemson's schedule. Uh, 62-17 in the ACC Championship in Charlotte. Number four, no real surprise here, is Oklahoma. A 30-23 overtime winner over Baylor in Dallas. Your G5 New Year's Six participant is the University of Memphis. Back-to-back winners over Cincinnati in back-to-back weeks. They win 29-24 to in Memphis, a probably the most, I guess other than the Big 12 championship, the most interesting game of the conference titles. I'm going to run down the New Year's Six games very quickly. I'm then going to give you the final top 25, and we will meander from there. In the Peach Bowl, the first college football playoff semifinal, we will have LSU and Oklahoma. In the Fiesta, we will have Ohio State and Clemson, a rematch of the Fiesta game that I was at a couple years ago that was um, whew, was a bloodbath. In the Cotton, the aforementioned Memphis Tigers will be playing Penn State. In the Rose, the Pac-12 champions Oregon, who upset Utah on Friday night, will be playing Wisconsin. The Orange Bowl will be the ACC Losers Virginia against SEC at-large Florida. Yeah. And, it, and in the Sugar... The SEC, uh, the SEC championship loser, considerably so, Georgia, will be playing the Big 12, <laughs> SEC, <laughs> Big 12 SEC title championship, loser. SEC championship appearer, Georgia. Oof, participant. Here's your ribbon. Now you're going to go play Baylor in the sugar. All right. For the first and last time, the actual college football playoff selection committee. I'm going to go from 25 to 1, so, you know, tons of suspense here. Number 25, 8-4, Oklahoma State. 
Number 24, Virginia. Number 23, 9-2 Navy. Number 22, Southern Cal. Hey, maybe that's why they kept their coach at 8-4. and four. Number 21, your Cincinnati Bearcats finishing the season at 10-3. and three. Number 20, App State, 12-1. and one. Eli Drinkwitz, still still the subject of many coaching rumors. Number 19, Boise State, finishing the year at 12-1. and one. That's just what the Murder Smurfs do. Number 18, Minnesota was 10-2. and two. Number 17, Memphis, your highest-rated group of five participant at number 17, the 12-1 Memphis Tigers. Number 16, Iowa at 9-3. Number 15, Notre Dame. Number 14, Michigan. Number 13, number 13, gentlemen, the Alabama Crimson Tide finishes the regular season at number 13. You hate to see it. You really do. Two yeah. losses. What Alabama really hates to see is number 12, Auburn. <laughs> number 11, Utah. Number 10, Penn State. 9, Florida. 8, Wisconsin. 7, Baylor. 6, Oregon. 5, Georgia. That was the cutoff. That was very interesting to me was that Georgia finished above Oregon despite the fact that Oregon won the Pac-12 and Georgia got annihilated, vaporized, embarrassed, punked, skidded, whatever. Georgia still finishes above Oregon in the college football playoff. How do we feel about that real fast? Before I don't give a shit. That is the correct answer, gentlemen. That is the correct answer. All right. That's the only time I'll do that all year. College football playoff selection committee. You gave me the arbitrary 25. You gave me the four that we needed to know. Quite literally have not looked at the rankings. Barely listened to you when you read them off. Um, it's fine. I kind of zone out and go to a different place. Uh, it's kind of front of mind, back of mind meditation there. All right. We have a lot of places to go. Um, I, you know what? Let's keep it in the PAP and spirit. Richard. Sir. You said you have no idea how Memphis is in this game or how it's going to do in the Cotton Bowl or who will even be coaching it. Because as we record this, Mike Norvell is being introduced as the new head coach of Florida State and does not know whether he will be coaching in the <laughs> Cotton Bowl. He wants to. I think he would like to. But he may understand that that may not be his reality quite soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he could be potentially coaching against uh, James Franklin, who was uh, heavily rumored to be interested or courted by, depending on what flavor of rumor you want. The Knowles, uh, I think this is the weirdest of the New Year's Six. So let's start here, guys. What the hell will happen in this game? Um, I'll take it first. I think the unknown is what Memphis is going to look like um, and who is going to coach that team. Mike Norvell, I believe, said he wanted to coach that team in the bowl game. said that's the plan. Again, reality may set in and that may a different story may occur over the next three and a half weeks or, or whatever until that game kicks off um yeah. Penn State I I think Penn State is probably pretty happy to be in that game Penn State played in some very interesting games the last few years they played against Washington obviously that USC uh Rose Bowl a few years ago um I I don't think if you want to pick the team that's going to want to be there I think Penn State's going to want to be there well enough, uh, but I just I just don't know what headspace Memphis is going to be in, or Memphis's coaching staff is going to be in, or or who is going to coach this team. There's there's a lot of unknowns that factor into this game. I would say two things. One, I think Memphis will probably be pretty good in this game because what we seem to be seeing, at least from Twitter, and I'm I'm not sure uh, what reporting you guys have done on this, is that. You would think that their their interim coach in that game seems like he's a pretty highly regarded guy. I'm guessing that'll be their O-line coach, and they have a really good offense. Um, so I would think that at least in terms of their prep for this game, they'll look like Memphis, whether Mike Norvell is there or not. Yeah, that's as it stands now. You know, if he's, yeah. if he's definitely coming with, with Mike to Tallahassee. 
Right. The second thing that I would say, though, and this is this is almost a, a Florida State point, but also it's a, it's a Mike Norvell thing. Uh, I remember a couple years ago, Scott Frost is is taking the Nebraska job after UCF, and um, Nebraska's like, oh, we actually are so excited that Scott Frost is going to coach the Peach Bowl. Like, this is going to be a great ad- <laughs> it's going to be a great advertisement for Nebraska football. And you know, maybe it was, and they won that game. But I'm not sure that if I were the AD at Florida State, I would be cool with given the way that my program has been uh, for the last couple of years with Norvell coaching that game. Like if I were his boss at Florida State, there's no chance he'd be coaching. So who knows? I would take Penn State if I were uh, kind of just sketching out how that would go, but I'm just one guy. Yeah, Alex, I like, I, I think the the biggest thing there is LS, or uh, FSU's already been without a head coach for three weeks. You know, do you want to then have your head coach half in, half out for six weeks. Too much time. Right. And and nobody, you know, nobody's got any delusions of grandeur um, that uh, that Florida State's going to have a great recruiting class with this early signing period, but there is that scuttlebutt. How, how do you get a recruiting class together when you're coming on in the early signing days in two weeks and all, all that stuff? Richard, why in the world would a man such as yourself, a man of refined football tastes, go to Miami and watch an Orange Bowl between Florida and Virginia? Because watching Dan Mullen and Bronco Mendenhall uh, coach against <laughs> each other is interesting. Also, I would much rather be in Miami than New York on December 30th. Um, that is the answer, my friend. Okay, <laughs> uh, this is a, a contrast styles and styles and clashes, and they make games and yada, yada, yada. But Bronco Mendenhall... And that defense going against Dan Mullen, uh, hype me up on this because the helmets on the field don't, yeah, it kind of feels weird. Well, so Florida's, Florida's not going to run at all in this game. Um, they're going to throw the ball a lot, which is basically what they've done the last five or six weeks of the season. Um, I am very, very interested to see how Florida will attack Virginia through the year and how Virginia will defend that, particularly with pretty good DBs that Virginia has. Um, Florida will be able to get after Bryce Perkins. Now, which Florida edge rushers are playing in this game, we don't know. I'm not reporting anything. I'm just saying if there were some players that won't play in this game, it may be Florida's edge rushers, either one or both, um, because of a certain uh, professional future that they may be putting at risk in that bowl game. So, as it stands on December 8th, I'm really excited about this game, the way it matches up. Um, if we've got some sitters that come out in the next couple weeks, it's going to change the prognostication of the game, but it's December 8th at 3.30 Eastern. Alex, there are there are two teams conspicuously absent from this discussion because we're sort of capping our conversation right now between the playoff four and the New Year's six, and then uh, full cast will we'll clean up the riffraff as we get into the stranger early December Bulls. There's no Michigan, there's no Alabama. No. Feel, feels very strange. Tell me a little bit about Michigan and a little bit about Alabama in terms of coping with and remanipulating one's narrative at this point. So what I'm excited about with this Citrus Bowl, and, and narrative is is probably a great word to use here, is that here's how I see this going. Michigan wins against Alabama's like 11th or 12th string. Um, if there's ever been a recipe for a bunch of Alabama players to not play in a game, it is this. <laughs> Considering there's like 18 pros. Right. There, are, there aren't many of them left who have not been hurt. Uh, well, actually there are, but at least their quarterback is, is obviously, unfortunately, not healthy now. And a bunch of those 18 future pros 
probably not going to be too interested in playing a game in the Citrus Bowl. Michigan might make a huge deal of this because uh, that is a staff that could could really use uh, a propaganda victory heading into the offseason. Um, I bet Michigan is going to win this game. I, I really could see that happening. I think it's, I mean, this might be stupid and might age poorly, but nobody searches old podcasts anyway. Yeah, of course not. I think Michigan's going to win that game. I really think that Michigan uh, will take this game much more seriously and win. Uh, and then you'll get an entire offseason of Michigan fans acting like you know this is our this is our breakthrough i mean just look at what we've what we've done here i mean the talent is in place you'll have alabama fans who are probably correctly just pointing out that their team didn't care but then they're going to be incorrectly saying that they're not mad about it they're absolutely going to be mad about it (laughs) and uh they're definitely not mad about losing some goddamn yankees and and michigan will be ranked like six going into next season uh and it'll be very exciting until they play their first primetime road game against whoever that is and then things will reset and everything will be back to normal so i think we're all in agreement one by the way i didn't officially announce it but yes alabama and michigan fall out of the new year six but not too far they're going to play each other on new year's day in the citrus bowl uh this is the texas uh georgia sugar bowl of last year this is that game this is your this is your narrative builder this is your narrative manipulator this is the uh out of context uh championship right now now it feels like, yes, this is the Michigan wins against a board Alabama, and then therefore the dynasty is over because Alabama will have, will take three losses in the first time since, gosh, I don't know. That might be worth looking up in a second. I want to say it might be the first time Alabama takes three losses in a season since Saban's first season, if I'm not mistaken. Did they lose three games the year they vaporized Michigan State in the Citrus Bowl? Mm, yeah, I think I think so. I think that so. might be it. Yeah, that might be it. Um, like twenty ten. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I believe I believe so. I'm curious how far Michigan could can prop itself up in the off season because this was this was supposed to be the breakthrough year anyway. Well, but so. no, see, I, was it though? Was it supposed to be the breakthrough, or was it supposed to be Patterson, what dude. it actually ended up being? Because I think Michigan ended up doing what I think reasonable minds could have expected them to do which is grafted in a new offensive system it yes looked ugly early and then in the back half of the season they got some things rolling and looked like they were um at least showing what josh gaddis was brought there to do they were showing our favorite word proof of proof of concept Uh now they're gonna have a test uh yeah it may not be against Alabama's entire too deep on defense, but it's a test. And and if they show well against Alabama, let's say if they put up like 35 points in this game, oh, yeah, the narrative. Uh-huh. The narrative uh-huh. this offseason will be so, so, so strong. Josh Gaddis was the key all along to Saban's dynasty. Oh, my gosh. That's a wonderful point. Josh Gaddis moving from Alabama to Michigan, and then his use, misuse, who knows, uh, involved in in calling the plays this year um all right guys let's actually talk about the playoff that's what we're here to do um i want to start with ohio state and clemson richard you've identified the matchups that you're most excited about and that would be clemson's wide receivers and ohio state's dbs yeah and that's without um that's in 10 minutes of jotting something down um without really really looking into it uh you know what's the thing that strikes me most about this game and that's it um i cannot wait to watch how those DBs match up against Clemson's wide receivers. It's it's going to be so fun. Um, the other thing, obviously, is 
Clemson's going to have to have a very, very good protection plan against Chase Young. And in that matchup, I actually am really interested to see how Clemson's running backs match up in pass protection with Chase Young. Um, Clemson use, or uh, I should say, Michigan a little bit, but definitely Wisconsin last night, um, was like, hey, Jonathan Taylor, you go hit Chase Young. If Chase Young is locked up with one of our tackles, it doesn't matter. Go hit Chase Young. Go chip Chase Young. Go make sure Chase Young cannot just move one of our tackles out of the way and rush clear to to Jack Cohn. And they did it fairly effectively, I I was about to ask, Richard, on the whole, how was that strategy? Because Clemson's going to have to mount something similar. I don't – I think – I think if you – they did about as well as could be expected. I think Young had like five tackles in the game. I'm not sure he had a sack. I know he had two – like very clear, um, like he hit Cone's arm as it was coming through. Um, yeah. So he got there. Good players are going to make plays. Um, and particularly at the end when Wisconsin started to need to like chase the game when they couldn't kind of really dictate. Wisconsin did a lot of dictating in the first half um, and they could not really dictate in the second half for a few reasons. A lot of stuff wasn't working and then you're behind in the fourth quarter after Ohio State storms back. So you're throwing you're a little bit more one-dimensional, da-da-da-da-da. Um, but I, I think all told, I think you'll take it if you're Wisconsin given what Chase Young could do. Uh both of you, if you can, you can jump in on this. Chances are, if you're a Clemson fan, you're an Ohio State fan, you were not watching that other team's game last night. So if you're a Clemson fan, give me something that says, hey, Ohio State isn't as shaky as they may have looked last night as you're just tracking the bottom line score because you probably didn't watch that game. And then conversely, tell me something that, that if you're an Ohio State fan that I, I'm asking for the impossible here. It, Make an Ohio State fan feel good about Clemson destroying another opponent. Is there apparent? Yeah. I, I feel like I'm falling into a, tra- a talk radio trap here. Apparent weakness or anything that Ohio State might naturally feel good about a matchup on. I think if you're Ohio State, um, or I guess you know if you're if you're Clemson, if you're a Clemson fan, you're looking for a reason to maybe have your guard up a little more. It's that Justin Fields looked really iffy in the first half and I don't think he's healthy right now I was gonna say I was gonna ask how much do you think of the, of that as a knee he has the brace on and and he took I think it was in the Penn State game that he took a, his first big lick and then he had maybe another one against Michigan um, I know he had another one against Michigan um, he was out he was out of the game uh briefly against Michigan and then came back and his first play was a uh was a beautiful yeah it was the was the rope bomb and it's very useful. I mean, today's December 8th, and I don't think that the semifinals are until, um, wow, this is on a live podcast. 28th, find 28th, out. 28th. Oh, great. Not on New Year's. Perfect. Um, sorting out our calendars uh, as we record. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's three weeks for him to feel healthier. And, um, you know, I think that there are very few quarterbacks in the country who are as dangerous as Clemson's quarterback, but Fields is one of them if he's healthy. And maybe he'll be healthy. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to... Um, try to guess too much at it, but I I would suspect that he'll be a little sharper than he's been the last few weeks. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for happy price price line richard uh you teased it 
a month and a half ago, maybe a month ago, uh, very casually on the hurry up. We talked about what Oklahoma was supposed to look like by Big 12 standards and what they were actually doing was running the football really damn well. And then a funny thing happened. Ole Miss, of all teams, ran all over LSU for one night only. I was in Baton Rouge. I watched an LSU defense that looked like would never let that happen. Okay, I watched the SEC championship yesterday. LSU did a wonderful job addressing Georgia's strengths. It feels like it's fixed. It feels like they're better. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I am willing to say it's fixed. Um, but I'm willing to say it was one night and one half when they were okay. up thirty points and sort of switched off. And Grant Delpit was very clearly not a hundred percent. And it was the week after Alabama. Right. Uh-huh. You got a little body blow in there. Yes. And the momentum's not there. And the focus isn't there. And it's a road game. And, 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 and. However, However. you said it. I'm going to bring it back up. I'm going to plant a flag on it, especially if we're right. This was the one team that matched up really well against LSU. Well, the one team with the one, team with the one style. And, and it, it is... So Utah had trouble with Justin Herbert on uh, on Friday night because Oregon was like, hey, instead of making you defend 10 people in the run game, we're going to make you defend 11. When the quarterback is involved in the run game, particularly when you're not necessarily ready for it, it throws you for a loop. Utah wasn't. Um, and, and Justin Herbert was effective in a limited fashion. Um, Ole Miss was effective in a game down 30 in the second half, using their running or uh, using their quarterback as a de facto running back to rip off chunk plays, um, I, I that's that's in six days of planning. I, I do not think that given three weeks, Dave Aranda is going to be taken off guard or not have the plan or this team's not going to know how to defend QB counter and counter read. How, how much of this? I wouldn't say backtracking, but you're evening out here, and that's fine. But how much of this is informed by the way they looked against Baylor? The way Oklahoma looked against Baylor? Um, yes, because it was not dominant. and and it was, it sh- it but, was it, but it should have been dominant. It was why? so close. I why? thought it was so close to Baylor because of what Oklahoma was, was doing on defense. Because of what Oklahoma was doing on defense, which was absolutely winning first and second down at a rate in the first half of that game that was, uh, frankly, quite stunning. I mean, they were absolutely um, stymieing Baylor on first and second down in that game. Now, a backup quarterback that you didn't plan for comes in the game, and then another backup quarterback that you didn't plan for comes in the game. Um, They ripped off massive chunk throws. There was a 78-yard throw. Um, Then there was the deep one that the third stringer had for the touchdown. Right. Is that well, let me ask you right there? Is that why? Because if you're LSU, I mean, you've been doing that all year at will almost. But for for Oklahoma to give it up, was it because they were switching out the? I mean, I say switching out personnel like you're subbing a package, but a new quarterback was coming into the game. Is is that a way to explain it away? Because you were right, Oklahoma's defense by and large kept handing the offense the nails to the coffin, and they couldn't do it. And then Baylor started doing essentially wacky shit, large right. chunk plays, scoring off of them, crazy momentum swings. Oklahoma played with its food, and then its food was too <laughs> medium rare, <laughs> and it jumped off the plate and slapped them in the face. Okay. And they almost uh-huh. lost the game. I, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily 
I'm I am and I'm not worried about that performance for Oklahoma. I'm I'm worried about that performance for Oklahoma because it's I think it's now three games in a row or three out of four where Oklahoma has not really put the hammer down. And I'm not entirely sure why. Um against Kansas State, they didn't like they didn't shift into another game. I mean, that was in the twenties. Against Oklahoma State with a backup quarterback, like it, yeah, they won by what, whatever, sixteen or eighteen or whatever it was. But it was like that's a that's a fifty burger, you know, earlier yeah, okay. in the season or or last year. Um, so I, I am I'm I am still forming my opinion of what I think about Oklahoma at this juncture of the season. Could I say one thing for Oklahoma? Let it rip, that- baby. They held Baylor, and this is with sacks, to 1.2 yards per carry yesterday. And without sacks, it was 3.4, which is a pretty big difference, but also still not a lot. I think that Oklahoma's problem yesterday was, you know, numerous and very bad coverage busts in the secondary um, that allowed really, really long Baylor completions. But I think that Oklahoma's front might have figured some things out. Yeah, and buddy. might not need to score as many points as we think. Really? Uh, in order to win this game. And they're going to have to score a lot of points. I mean, don't get me wrong. LSU is not going to be scoring like 12 in this game. Um, but I think that Oklahoma maybe, maybe could win it in the high 30s instead of in like the low 50s. I think I agree. And and that might be their path to an upset. Georgia for a hot minute in the first quarter looked like they were able to control LSU's run game and at least force at least force the Tigers into I less. Did not I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say one dimension, but early on, they were selling yeah. out to stop the run. They were being aggressive against the run. It's the first time I've seen someone force LSU to change really anything that they wanted to do in weeks. Um, it will be interesting to see if Oklahoma can keep that kind of energy on LSU's run game because that might be the secret yeah. is, you know, the Edwards Alaire factor. I keep like, I was watching the selection show today and they're rattling off all these running backs that aren't getting enough love in college football this year, and they didn't even mention him. They, they're yeah. talking. You know, I mean, ATN's great. I get it, but like, there's still, there's still this completely unsung component of what this LSU offense is doing on the ground. So, mm-hmm. um, real quick, which of these two games is is more interesting to you from a schematic standpoint? From a schematic yes. standpoint, I love the contrast in LSU and Oklahoma. Same, same. Yeah, where, yeah, where, where Oklahoma's offense lies. Um, I, okay. I am very, very curious to see that. I think the game that will be played at the higher level, uh, 1 through 22 or 1 through 44 or whatever, will be Ohio State yeah. Clemson. I think that will be the better football game probably after it bears out. Um, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm hitting the uh, the – the silence button on various agents calling me right now as news breaks. Um, I have a question for you. You can turn this into a bit if you want, or you can do 60 seconds. Something football related about Georgia and Baylor. <laughs> this is going to be a New Year's Six game. This isn't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not putting an indictment out on how we choose these things. I, I'm a pro playoff expansion person because then these bowls would host games of relevance. And instead mm. we get this shit burger, but it's yeah. just how it happened this year. So if you want to, if you want to sell me on it, sell me on it. If you want to pass, pass. Could I just respond to your question with a question? Go for it. What are Baylor fans going to do in New Orleans? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, they they're gonna man's um, a savage. Well, I'm, not, I'm just do? asking. I'm just asking. I don't know. I went to a great fried. I went to Willie Mays fried chicken there. That was outstanding. There could do could do that. He's the mayor of New Orleans because I took him there one night. Goes to New Orleans once, yeah. <laughs> um, just asking though, just asking, not not saying, just asking. 
I am dead. Um, 20 of them will stand in front of the bar and act like they aren't drinking, so 10 of them can drink, and then they'll just rotate every three hours. Um, that's an old no bad joke. Um, whew, okay, moving on. Uh, Alex, you have been a um, an enthusiast of the Dabo Doctrine this year. I feel like you've been a caretaker of it. Oh, and, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, it's, this is, I feel like you're either prepping for a thesis or this is just one of those weird like uh, elective classes someone could take where like, Alex Kirshner takes you through a year of Davo narrative. Um, Walk me through the disrespect. Yeah, just on the disrespect. So we'll all be familiar that there's this background for years of Dabo kind of, you know, and maybe at some point it was fair. Okay, time Um, out real quick. I just want to say that of all the podcasts that ain't played nobody, misinterpretations and mispronunciation of Dabo Sweeney, that one has got to be the worst. Please continue. Shout out to shout out to Bill C. What did I just do? Do you said Dabo? Oh, Dabo. That's what I meant to say. That's Please exactly continue. Dabo, right? Dabo, right? Please. Continue. I think I said that. I think I said Dabo. Don't wind that back. Uh, anyway, Dabo for years has had sort of a mildly adversarial relationship with uh, the quote unquote national media. You'll remember that he used to do those press conferences where he would go into this state of righteous indignation. When he would get asked about Clemsoning, which was a term way back when, before Clemson stopped doing that, um, you know, he's in recent years used like little old Clemson kind of as a tongue-in-cheek way to talk about how his program is disrespected. Um, he kicked this thing into high gear uh, a couple, starting like a week or two ago. Um, I think after they beat South Carolina, someone had asked him a question about you know the state of the playoff race, and he had said that. I think he used the phrase they, so I don't know if that was the media or the committee were like trying to find ways to keep Georgia in the field and get Clemson out. He said that if Clemson had lost to UVA, they would go down to 20 in the polls. Um, someone had asked him a few days after that, like, why don't you think the ACC gets respect? And you would think that the answer might be, well, because most of your legacy programs are terrible right now um, and because you have one good team. Uh, but Dabo's response was the media, just the media. Um, and then after they beat UVA by, you know, like 40-something points the other night, um, he tells his team, and I forget, someone reported this on Twitter, and I, I forget, uh, and I feel bad for not properly saying where I saw this first, but he tells his team that Clemson is the first team to start number one since 1966 and then go undefeated and drop to number three in the polls. Can anyone think of a team in Clemson's conference within the last, I don't know, six <laughs> years uh, that had that exact thing happen to them that Dabo seemed to not know about? Maybe maybe who Dabo might have played against that year? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, so Florida State in 2014 uh, had that happen to them. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I don't know if Dabo was just like making that up or if he just like, didn't remember uh, the situation of a few years ago that was happening in his conference with All very possible. his closest contemporary in that conference. I don't know. Um, but anyway, we think that we've talked about this, Spencer and uh, Jason and I, about this tiny little hater who just lives in Dabo's ear, like a, <laughs> a miniature a miniature person there who's just said, um, Dabo, they, Dabo they, they hate you guys. Like, they absolutely hate you. They're just waiting for you to fail. That hater, that little rascal, that little skeptic is yelling these days into Dabo's ear. The tiniest little preacher. Sounds like a kid children's storybook that would be sold at Lifeway. Um, gentlemen, um, let's let's play a game real fast. It's a weird one, but um, I think there's some validity to it, mainly because I've hung out with Iowa fans before. Uh, which program is the happiest to not be number four right now? I well, think Godfrey, 
Oh, go ahead. I think it's Utah. I like, oh my, oh my God. I mean, they were, they looked, I, I did not think they were going to look that bad on Friday. I, I really didn't. Um, they just, from the word go, it was like, yo, you could tell the talent drop off was so, uh, it was, it was talent drop. It was the talent drop off fell off a cliff from Oregon to Utah in that game. They were, they were just straight up faster the whole night. My, my, my whole go-to on this, people sometimes ask like why I get on rants or ignore certain things. If 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 I if if whatever my brain uses as the metric, just if a narrative or a talking point just gets oversaturated and I'm just sick of it, I'll immediately become a contrarian. And so the the last couple of years, it's been this sort of ha ha guffawing kind of you know anti Pac twelve bullshit from the east side of the or the southeast side of the United States. And so a couple with a couple of weeks to go, I said, well shit, I really hope a Pac twelve team makes the playoff. And then as Utah emerged as that candidate, I thought, okay, contrasting styles. Like I had Richard sell me on this multiple shows in a row. Like, you know, tell me what my talking points are going to be. Like, what am I going to get excited about hearing about? Because I think a lot of people didn't watch Utah this year on a national level. I was like five minutes into that game and holy shit, realized I backed the wrong horse completely. (laughs) And then retroactively got pissed off at Oregon for losing to ASU. What the fuck was that about? Yeah, Oregon, Uh so close. To having a right now, I think Oregon, Oregon, I really do think is about to drop it into a gear that is going to leave the rest of this league in the dust. Like I, if if really? I, I think that Oregon, with the talent that I think that they may be able to get up there, um, I think that unless USC gets it figured out. I really, really think they may be about to. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they may be about to do something akin to 2010s, 2011s-ish run, um, where they are really head and shoulders above the rest of the conference as the rest of the conference figures itself out. I agree. Yeah, I think it's a smart take. Um, as we wrap this up, um, I I would never ask for a prognostication on this show. It is not our style. Just give me your most entertaining unfolding. You can include the New Year's Six if you'd like. The games are so arbitrary, it's up to you. But what I'm looking for specifically are the three results that are entertaining in the playoff. You can throw in the Six if you want to. The most entertaining thing that could possibly happen would have to involve LSU getting to the national championship in New Orleans, and then nothing else matters as long as LSU wins, right? No, the uh, most enter- the, the most entertaining thing to happen would be Ohio State beating Clemson by thirty five points. Wow! And actually, wouldn't wouldn't it be? What was the exact score of the twenty sixteen game? Was that thirty one nothing? I think it was, was thirty one nothing. I was there. If we could flip flip that, maybe. If we could yeah. flip that, because I I I I just the takes the takes would blot out the sun with their fervor. My goodness, if that one happened. Oh, I can't find my gamer. That's weird. Uh, I was at that game. Huh. I remember what you wrote. You wrote something about how Clemson was fueled by the one thing that Alabama didn't have, which was having I, never done it before. We, they were definitely like, it, God, I've never seen a more bored, talented team than, yeah. than Clemson on the sidelines in the second half of that game. I mean, for obvious reasons. I'm not saying that like it's a, you know, a, a bad thing. But, uh, yeah, the 2016 Fiesta Bowl was 31 to nothing. 
Um, and I know if you look at the box score, it was just 17 to nothing at the half. That mm-hmm. doesn't sell it. I feel like as as this game progresses in the offensive side, when people look at like 17 nothing, that's not a big deal. That's three possessions. It No, it didn't feel that way at all. Deshaun Watson was just humiliating Ohio State. And also... Um, Dabo said this today during the during the uh, the media op, and I, I made a joke in our Banner Society Slack that it was Shade on Urban, but he's totally right, Richard. This is like a more talented Ohio State team. This is a more dynamic Ohio State team. This uh-huh. is like a just a better looking Ohio State team than the one that Clemson. Compl- they don't even look like the same program, and it was three years ago. Right. This this is not. This is not the team that Clemson blanked. I mean, it's not. It, it is. It is. Hell no. Head and shoulders. No. Um, and you know the biggest difference, honestly, is that Greg Schiano doesn't coach their defense anymore, and they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, anyway, but All enough, right, so, enough about so that. Yeah. We're building entertaining narratives. So, so we have Ohio State beating Clemson 30, 31 to nothing. Okay. Richard, what would happen then in the uh, in the Peach Bowl with LSU and Oklahoma? Uh, well, if Ohio State beat Clemson thirty-one to nothing, that would mean that Joe Burrow threw four interceptions, uh, oh. and Jalen Hurts runs for at least two touchdowns. Uh, CeeDee Lamb returns a kick for a touchdown. Um, uh, Kenneth Murray has a scoop and score on defense, um, wow. and Oklahoma okay. rolls. Shit. To uh, let's call it a a forty two to seventeen over LSU, okay. um, and we really really have a party in the national championship game. All right, I was about to say Dungeon Masters. Now that you now that you've taken this campaign to Oklahoma and Ohio State and New Orleans, how does it finish? Ohio State slaughters Oklahoma in the national championship game. I got a horrible feeling here that Ohio State's going to win the national championship. I'm not happy about it. Uh, nobody's happy about it. But Richard, I have a horrible, I have a horrible feeling. Yeah, Richard. Just for context, you and I will, you know, we're we're going to be standing in a hotel bar somewhere at the convention with all like a hundred some odd coaches. So, my favorite national title games are the ones where every time you grab a beer and turn around, there's like a chunk play, forty yard touchdown, or you know, Alabama trying to fake a field goal and using a punter as a lead blocker. Um, I would like to think that Ohio State and Oklahoma could provide like a. I mean, what's the over under in that game, Richard? 85? Ohio State. Well, to be, yeah, 90? Well, the Oklahoma Oklahoma being able to run the ball may bring that down into the 70s. And the semifinals sev- settled at like 75. Right. Like the the, the like chunkiest 75. the chunkiest game imaginable is LSU and Clemson. Because that's just attacking. Those two teams would just relentlessly attack each other all night. Yeah, see, when you went with the whole narrative about LSU imploding in the peach. I think the most entertaining outcome, if I can come and do a little editing here, is I definitely love the reversal of fortune against Clemson. I think that's very funny. And then it would be even more funny because Dabo would have sort of created it. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what right, I'm saying. He would have, right. So I love all that. Good job, Alex. Richard, I'm going to flip yours around only because it puts LSU back at the scene of the crime of not crossing the 50 against Alabama in the national championship game. With all the offense they could want, with the Saints assistant coach running the show. Take it home. Oh, my goodness. There we go. A a de facto home game? There we go. And then they fuck it up. Um, No, actually, I mean, I'll be honest as we close this thing out. I think LSU's... uh, they they are going to be winning a national title. If I had to pick a team right now, I'd pick the I don't know. I hope so. I don't know. Well, at least we only have a month and a half to talk about it because this sport schedules itself with such logic. Um, all right, gentlemen, thank you very much. 
Uh, Richard, uh, Alex, as always, thank you for, for swinging by our end of the neighborhood. Uh, for the rest of all the bowl coverage, all the idiocy, and unfortunately, hashtag 9windiana, uh, breaking news, not headed to Nashville, breaking my heart. What? We'll be playing Kentucky in the Gator Bowl. We got stuck with Louisville and Tennessee. That'll be fun. Kentucky um, versus Indiana. Wow. In the Gator Bowl. Um, talk about a good 19, like, talk about a good basketball game from, like, 30 years ago. Wow, well, those fan bases loathe one 30 another. years um, ago? I don't know. Okay, know. I do not need Indiana basketball fans or Kentucky basketball fans in the all mentions right, of this right, podcast. Right. Sorry. Right. You know, that was a personal view. Oh, my God. The millennials, are, the millennials took my show. All right, I will see you. But uh, uh, Richard, I'll see you. We, uh, uh, I'm dead. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Richard. Bye.